Welcome once again to Refresher, the Pop Culture Therapy Podcast. I'm Chris Levine, and I'll be your host again this time around. This is number 45 in our series called Psychology on Vinyl, where we try to understand both the subtle and blatant psychology behind and within famous records. What's interesting about this episode is that everything that I'm interpreting is 100% based on feels because it's all music. Now, one might ask, how are you going to get into the psychology behind instrumental pieces? Well, that's what's on tap this time. Let's see. The Penguin Guide to Jazz gave this particular album a rare crown rating. Miles Davis said that this record reached out and influenced those people who were into peace. The Daily Telegraph argued that it marked the point at which jazz ceased for a while to be hip and cool, becoming instead mystical and messianic. This time, we will be considering the 1964 album by John Coltrane called A Love Supreme. Now, first off, here's an amazing factoid. He recorded this in one session in New Jersey, leading a quartet featuring pianist McCoy Tyner, bassist Jimmy Garrison, and drummer Elvin Jones. Yes, this record. I can't wrap my head around this. It happened in just one recording session. And this wasn't just an exercise in technique. Coltrane described how a a religious revelation pulled him out of a life of dissipation. The record thus is a statement of the ecstatic dervish who is willing to surrender the self completely to the divinity. What does this mean? Well, it means a lot of things. But one of the things is that it means depth. And here's why. The Live for Music website notes that for one, jazz sometimes when you listen to it actually can relieve stress. Listeners that were studied were much more likely to retain the information in the environment of jazz's soothing agents when they were studying more than if they had typical pop songs in the background. Classical scored even higher. We had an episode on that. Secondly, it mentions that jazz stimulates the mind. As your brain receives messages from the environment, it releases chemicals to react accordingly. Well, following the influence of jazz, your brain tends to mimic the rhythmically improvisational patterns and they may pop and jerk at times in acute measures. The activity in the music therefore influence 
it just increases hyperactive neural stimulation. <laughs> that said, jazz actually can help boost your creativity. With the decreased stress levels and increased patterns of language, the brain is now more susceptible to using its imagination to complete logical thought processing. That is why, according to scientific study, some find jazz to be the most stimulating genre of music. This record is no exception. A Love Supreme is a suite composed and broken into four parts. Part one is acknowledgement, which includes the oral chant that gives the album its name, really the only words on it. Resolution, followed by pursuance and psalm. Now he presented it as kind of a spiritual declaration that his musical devotion was now intertwined with his faith in God. In many ways, the album mirrors his spiritual quest that grew out of his personal issues and personal troubles. From the opening gong and tenor saxophone flutter, a four-note bass line builds under the sound. This simple riff becomes the musical framework for the rich improvisations that comprise the album's 33-minute musical journey. But is this just hype? Is this just kind of a cool touchstone? You know, if you know about a Love Supreme, you're a cool guy. Well, while a Love Supreme is recognized as a musical masterpiece, it was much more for the person who wrote this stuff. It had enormous personal significance for Coltrane. In the spring of 1957, his dependence on heroin and alcohol lost him one of the best jobs in jazz. He, at that time, was the chosen sax player playing and touring with Miles Davis' popular group until he became so unreliable and strung out, he let him go. He was alternately catatonic and brilliant. But that wouldn't fly. Coltrane's behavior and playing became increasingly erratic until Miles Davis fired him after a live show that April. Soon after, that's when he decided to clean up his act. He would later write in the 1964 liner notes to A Love Supreme, quote, In the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. And that's kind of what you hear going on here. You know what this reminded me of? If we move forward in time and we talk about another musical genius, <laughs> Prince recorded the infamous Black Album, but then quickly pulled it off the shelves because it was too heavy and too dark and negative and angry. And then he immediately replaced it with the sublime but way way not so popular love sexy record it's like a love supreme was announcing a change in where the artist's head was at prince did the same thing he went from for example a really weird song on the black album called bob george 
in which he assumes the identity of a profane man who suspects his girlfriend of having an affair with a man named Bob, then fires a multitude of gunshots. This is all during the song <laughs> and ends up being raided by police and shot to death. He goes from that, which gets shelved on the Black Album, to the Love Sexy Album, where he releases a song instead called Anastasia, where he performs a heartfelt confessional number divulging various sins of the flesh and ends with Prince promising to dedicate his life and music to God. The theme of the album is the struggle between good and evil, God and Satan, virtue and sin. The perennial themes basically of Prince's work until again he and his band during Anastasia chant love is God, God is love, girls and boys love God above. By the end of the first piece on a love supreme, John Coltrane sings slash chants a love supreme. A love supreme. It's like a mantra. To me, it's very much the same animal as love sexy. They could be brothers. Love sexy and a love supreme could be brothers. If albums were, you know, if that was possible. But this is why. The two artists both wanted to be clean and exonerated by the only one whose opinion they actually cared about at that point in their lives. God. Only Coltrane was able to send the message with no lyrics at all, just purely musically. And what's crazy is you can still hear the message loud and clear with no words, with only your clues being the names of the sections that he titled the pieces to go by. It was all about redemption on both of those records. Redemption is a deep, deep subject. We could spend a long time talking about that. Who doesn't feel guilty for bad choices? Who doesn't feel hurt for having hurt someone else? Who doesn't feel emotionally crippled sometimes, wishing that we could go back and change decisions that we'd made or choices that affected not just us, but other people. And these are the kinds of things that make people want to get down on their knees and ask for help. Once they feel they have it and they receive that redemption or they feel that they received that redemption, it can literally change a life. And that's what happened to both of those artists, as far as I was concerned, you know, knowing about them, the degree that I know about them, especially Prince. Now, this recovery on vinyl is a pop culture staple in itself. For example, Neil Young wrote The, the Needle and the Damage Done, perhaps one of the most moving songs about heroin ever written. His reflections on the ill effects of drug use in his music are extremely spot on and extremely touching.
Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers turned to cocaine and heroin when he was younger. However, when his bandmate died of a heroin overdose in 1988, he swore that he would never do it again or do drugs. And what came from this? The song Under the Bridge, which is a very highly personal song when you peel back the layers. See, people trying to heal on record, on vinyl, and asking for redemption from anyone is really nothing new. But one other thing that Coltrane did here was kind of from a, a musical standpoint. He expanded and reworked a, a lot of harmonic foundations of jazz and essentially developed a new jazz vocabulary. Here's part of it. It's a little technical, but on each downbeat, he places a note that is a whole step below the previous. Each time he descends a whole step, our ear hears the contrast from the previous note, and then we go right with him and we shift to that new tonality. In a nutshell, this sounds awesome. Here's why. You see, it's not the exact key or tonality that he's shifting to that matters. What matters is that our ear hears the structure of, the, the, of, of all of it very, very clearly, which creates a clearly defined sense of shifting to somewhere new that you weren't even necessarily expecting to go, but at a regular rate all throughout this record. Because of this, the music can breathe. It can yell. It can play hide-and-seek. It can tap you on the shoulder and then run away. This is why what Coltrane was doing is not going to fit into some neat little jazz box because he was so free. As a result, he thus had complete melodic freedom. But you know, all of this rhetoric should not replace the joy that simply comes from being a listener. You don't need to know all that. I encourage you <laughs> to just go and listen to it all the way from acknowledgement to song. It's all there. Maybe think of the record like this. Imagine a man who can't speak showing you with hand signals and spur-of-the-moment non-traditional sign language that he wants to order Chinese food. But now imagine that he is so good with his hands and his descriptiveness without using any words, he is so talented that you immediately understand him, you understand what specifically he's hungry for, and it actually makes you hungry for the exact same thing. You feed off his enthusiasm. That is this album. You aren't being preached to. You aren't even really being conversed with or chit-chatting with anyone here. But by the music alone, you hear what's on his mind and the peace and the redemption that he's hungry for. And since we've all probably been there, that makes this record universally great. Because even without lyrics, we understand. We get it. Because we're hungry for the same thing. We have once again arrived at the time on Refresher when we present you with a Spotify playlist to shadow our overall theme. 
And for this Psychology on Vinyl series, the subject matter is the playlist itself. So this time around, we have for you the Refresher podcast, John Coltrane, A Love Supreme Playlist. You can find it really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast-John Coltrane, A Love Supreme. Very simple, four songs, three of them clocking in a little over seven minutes and one a little over ten we have acknowledgement, resolution, pursuance, and psalm. That's it. That's our new playlist. Again, you can find it really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast, John Coltrane, A Love Supreme. We would like to welcome some new listeners to our show. Our demographic report shows that we now have listeners in the Valley and I know if you know me at all, that you probably would immediately jump to the San Fernando Valley, but that's not where we're going this time. This is the capital, the valley is the capital of Anguilla in the British Caribbean Overseas Territory. How exciting is that? So someone or a few people or who knows how many people are listening to Refresher on a beautiful island. That makes me feel good. So welcome to Refresher. You know, guys, this show simply would not exist without you. If you could do me a favor, please continue to pass this podcast along to your friends. Also, if you'd like to help keep this podcast stay up and running, you can make a small monthly contribution. Just see the support this podcast link under the episode description. If you can't do that, that's perfectly fine. You just enjoy the show. I also want to let you know that if you would like any merchandise for this show, including books that I've written and celebrity interviews and so forth, T-shirts, all that good stuff, you can go to refresherpodcast.yolasite.com. That is refresherpodcast.yolasite.com. As always, the music that begins and ends this podcast is by the band Dive. The song is called A Day Late, and it was written by Mr. John Villafuerte. But until next time, this is Chris Levine for Refresher, the pop culture therapy podcast. Everyone, please take care and do yourself a favor and remember that there's a big difference between worry and concern. We'll see you next time. Thank you.